Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I am grateful that this podcast, Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, has allowed me the opportunity to continue to interview amazing guests and hit on meaningful and important topics that are changing people's habits and outlooks on their health. It's also forced me to take action and practice what I preach or what my guests continue to drill in. It seems that over the last 80 episodes, every medical practitioner and health and wellness expert continues to emphasize healthy diet, exercise, self-care, and meditation slash mindfulness. I figured I was eating healthy, exercising daily, and finding time for myself, so three out of four wasn't so bad. Or so I thought. In fact, what I have realized is that the fourth component of meditation and mindfulness may in fact be the most important one of them all. How we think and how we react to the world and what our subconscious is really doing to us. If you have this ability to be able to see things in a different light or to be able to silence and quiet the mind that's constantly, constantly talking to us and all the time, not necessarily saying the nicest things. And so if you've been following me on social media or subscribing to my newsletter, you know that this new practice of mine is what I am now calling the game changer. So we are diving deeper into this subject and I'm trying to get all of you similarly stubborn people just like me out there listening. I'm trying to give you a new perspective. Joining me today is former psychotherapist, acclaimed author, podcaster and union meditation founder Natasha Gray. Natasha's Conscious Living podcast found itself on the iTunes new and noteworthy list back in 2016. Her meditation, her studio, it's just absolutely beautiful. I've seen it. It is a place that she likes to say has skill building, connection, and contemplation. So welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And as always, for more information, you can always head to extensionmarketing.com. Natasha, I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Leanne. It's so great to be here and be with you and your energy. Well, see, and I felt too when I met you because I actually met you when I actually came on to do your husband's Mm -hmm. um, podcast. Mm -hmm. And I just, you walked into the room and it was just like this bright energy. Like you had this, you had a lightness to you that I think people are drawn to. Mm. So thank you. Now, I'm going to get to the studio and everything that you've got on the go right now, but what I found really interesting when I was, you know, looking at what you have done is that where you are right now is not necessarily at all where you intended to be, especially when I look at the fact that you were a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. right? So where are you from? What's the childhood? Like, how do we get to this point from A to B? <laughs> oh, such is life, right? We we think we have control and direction and we think that it's it's all on us. And so that was how I lived my life is is trying to control and fit and accommodate the culture. But at the same time, there was a part of me that really wanted to just flow and allow and surrender to that which was consistently being thrown at me in daily life. And so it took me many, many years to 
really open to mm-hmm. that. Were you raised in an environment where it was like you are going to school, you're going to do a sport, you're going to have an activity, you have to have a passion and, you know, Absolutely. go through the kind of the checklist of what you were supposed to be doing? Yeah, I grew up in a very, very small town. The population is like 5,000 people. So everyone was doing the exact same thing. Um, you basically went to school, you got a blue collared job at those times. Factory work was huge when I was growing up. Uh, But then it was, you know, your teacher, your counselor, that was kind of what girls often would. Those were the other options rather than being at the factory. Exactly. And so um, that was kind of what I thought my destiny was going to be is just that. And so I lived out those scripts for many of my life, uh, most of my life, actually. And um, to the point where it took me right into my 30s till I was exposed to a different way of living and a different way of being in the world. And that just cracked everything open. When you grow up in a small town, I mean, where can, where was it? Uh, Winchester, Chesterville area. So, but an hour south of Ottawa. Okay. You're growing up in a small town. Mm -hmm. Were you able to, when you're growing up to travel, to know that there was more out there, that there was, you know, these destinations and these, this way of thinking, like, were you exposed to it at all or really not until much later? Not really. I mean, we had a cottage growing up, so we spent our summers at the cottage and we spent our winters and falls at home going to school. And so there wasn't a lot of travel um, included. We went to the city, Ottawa, the odd time. But beyond <laughs> that, it was really nothing. Um, there was uh, one black person in our community. So you can imagine what that must have been like for for him at that time. I mean, this was in the 80s. Um, and so it was just this bubble. And there was no um, exposure to other ways of uh just being and living life until I just, I was just so uncomfortable and so depressed and just not happy that I just, I knew there was something more. And so I did whatever I could to figure out what that was, to figure out what resonated with me and then just build on that, um, which was very uncomfortable because there's a lot of relationships that had to, um, kind of fall to the waistline and, um, a lot of changes had to have been made that aren't comfortable. Change is not comfortable. Well, that's the thing is that I think for anyone, while the change is the most consistent thing that happens mm-hmm. in life, it is the most difficult to accept Absolutely. and to surrender to. Yeah. I think if we're, we're, if we're bringing that word surrender, and yeah. I'm sure that word will continue to come up in the conversation. What was the trigger then for you? Mm. Like, how does, how did this shift? Because I'm even looking at what you were doing to even heading to school for psychotherapy, mm-hmm. like, where does this happen? So to go back, because I'm totally open with my story, and um, I think we all should be, because our stories are just so important to the now, and they feed, uh, the past is just an opportunity for learning, right? And so if we use that as the teaching to how we are now, and then moving forward to the next moment, it can really... Um, nurture not just ourselves, but also those around us. So when, I mean, we could go back to all the way to four when, you know, labels are starting to be placed upon children once they're exposed um, to schools and exposed to other adults. Um, I was 
basically kicked out of school in uh, junior kindergarten because I was too shy, too quiet. And so that then becomes the identity at the age of four is too shy, too quiet. Um, something's wrong because I'm not able to be in this other group with children. And so uh, that built upon the anxieties that I was feeling. I mean, all shyness really comes down to is not feeling safe in an environment. Most four-year-olds aren't safe, don't feel safe because it's new, right? And so making sure that the environment is safe um, so that people, that child, children can explore confidently and then building upon that confidence slowly, not just, you know. Mm -hmm. So then into uh, grade school, it was okay, but I still had this kind of low hanging anxiety. And then that anxiety just built because I didn't develop skills of how to manage, how to work with it, how to dance with it. And so I just internalized it as there being something wrong with me. And so then that manifested into, as you can imagine, um, uh, just a, a, an overall um, depression, like just not feeling good about my life, just feeling lost, which is a natural way of being into, uh, say, adolescent years. And it just, it grew, it grew because I didn't have an outlet. I didn't have someone who could normalize that for me. And then because I didn't have that normalization, I, I internalized as there's something wrong. And the culture also says, if you are feeling depressed, if you're feeling anxious, there is something wrong with you. And so I now really, my biggest mission is to normalize our experience as human beings and to use energy. It's anxiety, for example, is just energy. Depression is just energy. It's a different feeling of energy within. But how do you use that energy? It's information. It's like our internal technology system, if you will. Um, how are we using that? Are we using it to um, create a story about there being something wrong, which is actually reinforced by the culture at large that there is something wrong, or are we using it as information to then develop the skills to then find the resources, find the people to help um, direct us in a way that we need directing or support us in a way that supports us. So I, I was experiencing all this and not developing the skills and the tools to work with it. And so naturally my parents notice this. And so they would send me to all these psychologists or sorry, psychiatrists and their training is to medicate, right? Numb the pain, <laughs> numb the experience. So I was on by the age of 17, I think I had tried a six different antidepressants and anti-anxieties by the age of 17. Now that was 20 years ago, 20 years later, it is outrageous how many people are medicated. Um, for not not severely um, um, depression, like severe depression, where you literally cannot get out of bed, but I mean just an overall general sensation of not feeling good, not feeling energy um, to live your life, or anxious in a way where you're going into a a meeting and you're you feel anxious, you know, you're having this sensation of your heart beating or your hands are sweating. Um, and that carrying on into, I don't know, driving or whatever. And then people thinking that it's something they shouldn't be experiencing and therefore they need medication for. No, it's just information. It's just energy. And so um, I'm not talking kind of clinically, 
because that's not what's being um, diagnosed right. and medicated. I think in the, in the U.S. right now, 45% of women midlife age are on medications. 45%. 45% and that's in the U.S. I don't know what the stats are in Canada, but I know that they're very similar. Um, that's not okay. And that is not, that is not clinical depression, cannot get out of bed mm -hmm. and has complete hopelessness of life. That's not that, that or suicidal by any means. That is just this general unhappiness. Uneasiness. I, I find like this dark, low, dark cloud. Exactly. Right. This dark cloud that kind of simmers overhead exactly. all the time. So you're at this point, you're 17 mm -hmm. dealing with your seventh different medication the system takes a toll. I mean, and I know too, right, with these medications, the body reacts, you've got side effects. Like there's so much that you're doing to your body mm -hmm. at this age. Uh, what happens? Like where, what are you going through? What are you hoping for at that point? At that point, I thought that that was my destiny. Literally, I thought that there's something wrong with my brain. You know, there's this chemical imbalance and I need these pills to cope and this is going to be my life. Um, I have this anxiety disorder and I have this depression and this is going to be my life. I have this eating disorder, et cetera, et cetera. You name it, OCD, it, it was labeled. Um, and then at that point, because I was medicated and my focus was just so my grades just skyrocketed because I was able to actually put like I, it, the, the it, one medication was working yeah. <laughs> um I wouldn't recommend it definitely not recommend it but uh, so anyways my my grades just uh blew out of the water. And so I went off to college and I thought okay I'm going to help other people who are like me. Right. And quickly realized that that was just the script. That was just what was to happen, right? Is to go off to college. So I did and uh, things just kind of got worse. And even though like I, on the outside looking in, like I was always active, I was um, fit. I had a ton of great, great friends, but there was just this internal critic that was just lingering consistently there and I couldn't get rid of it. No matter how many medications I, I was taking, I just, it was always there. And then, I mean, I'll, I'll skip some stages that are part of the story, of course, but for this conversation, um, kind of irrelevant. So I went and ended up, um, doing my psych degree at Carleton and then decided at the age of 30 that I was going to go to California and do my side E. Okay. I realized that you skipped a whole bunch of stuff there, but you just skipped a decade. <laughs> <laughs> True. You True. just skipped a decade. So okay. yeah. 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 So in that decade, yes. was the, give me the, the really cold notes version then of that decade. Okay. Cause I want, cause I want to get to where we're at because this is where, you know, it's mind blowing, but right. yes. How's that so, decade? So the, so the twenties was the typical twenties, right? So it was the the partying, the, um, the going out, the, the boyfriends in and out, um, uh, just having fun according to what the culture says is fun in your twenties, right? But still having this internal discomfort and dissatisfaction with, um, life, with my life and who I was. So 
um, Casey, my husband, who, you know, we got engaged when, uh, I was in my late twenties and I basically said, I'm leaving the country. And so I went off to California and did my, um, my master's in, in clinical psych. And I went to California because they had a, a doctor of psychology program, as opposed to a doctor of philosophy PhD, which is, um, in Canada, we don't have many PsyDs, but I wanted the clinical work, which is what a PsyD program offers. So that took me to California and I went by myself and that was big, um, to go to a small town girl to travel and do that. Yeah. But I always had an itch to go there. There was something that was just really pulling me there and, uh, to just do it, just, just do it. And so I did it and I did it by myself and it was phenomenal. It was a wonderful experience. I just immersed myself in my studies and the culture and I fell in love with, with California and I fell in love with what I was studying. And then I, um, I was there for a couple of years and I decided to come home primarily for my husband to be and family. It was, it was definitely hard knowing that I wanted to have a family of my own and I didn't want to have that separation distance wise from them. So I came home and there was, um, a point actually before I went to California, this is critical before I went to California, I was probably about 25, 26 years old. And at this point I had been probably on eight different medications by this time in and out of psychiatrist's office, in and out of hospitals for eating disorder, um, in my early twenties. And, um, again, everyone just, it, it's a hospital, right? So there's something wrong with you. And so, um, I remember I was on, I had started Prozac and I don't even know why I was on it. Psychiatrist so like, here, you tried all these other things here, this is going to work. And so I remember I was on two weeks and I was driving to work one day and on my way to work, I had to pull over because I thought I was going to hurt somebody. I literally thought I was going to go into the other lane and kill somebody in my car. And I had to pull over because it terrified me. The thought that I was going to lose control of my mind and, and get into an accident, um, I couldn't bear it. So I pulled over and I just sat there. And my experience in that moment was, interestingly, what I experienced in meditation often. where But it scared me at the time because I didn't know what it was. But it was the experience of bearing witness to what was happening in that moment. So it might hang on here. Okay. I'll, I'll give some exercises to kind of plush through this, but it was being aware of the thoughts as opposed to being the thoughts. And it terrified me because I, I had never experienced anything like that. I was so caught up in the past consistently or constantly thinking about the future. Never thinking of the thoughts of the past or becoming aware of the thoughts of the future. It was just never, never my experience. And so it terrified me because I thought I was going crazy. So I pulled over and I just, what I did actually, because I know that music changed state, I like put on like a song that would really kind of put me in a really good space. And I just blasted it and it changed everything. And then I focused on that. So I had something to focus on rather than this scary experience that I was having. And from that moment, I said, no more drugs, done, no more drugs. And so I quit everything. And that was when I, that was well over a decade ago now. And, um, 
to be honest, it was one of the best things. <laughs> Everything changed. Everything changed. Um, a lot of things changed, meaning I knew I could handle without it. I then realized that it wasn't a chemical imbalance in my brain, that in fact, I can change different chemicals by way of different physiological responses through my focus of attention, right? So if I'm focusing on um, the sun in the sky and feeling the sun on my skin, that changes neurologically what's happening in my brain. If I'm focusing on... Um, a conversation, a conversation I had with somebody who I love and that would really hurt me or hurt them, that changes what is happening in my brain. So focus is such a predictor of how we're feeling moment to moment. This stuff isn't taught to me, right? I'm given drugs. That's what I'm thinking is wrong. Um, that's what I'm thinking is going to solve my problems and fix everything. It wasn't my case. And I can only speak for myself. Now, Having that particular experience and then exposing myself to different environments was the biggest catapult. I realized too that you become your environment. And so if I was going to be around the same friends who were doing the same things, that was going to be my experience, the same things. But I knew there was something more. I knew I wanted to change. I knew I wanted to do things. I'd be somebody in the world. So I had to find those people. And then being immersed in those environments, whether it's books, whether it's podcasts, um, once you immerse yourself, you become that. Your expectations for yourself changes. Um, ways of being changes. You learn. You're constantly um, open and absorbing. Whether we consciously know it or not, it's happening. And so I always say, like, why not be aware of that and choose what it is you unconsciously want to absorb? Because you don't have to do any work. It will always go in. But make sure you're in environments, whether it's, you know, what's on TV and what's going in, what you're listening to. Make sure you're in environments that actually support that as opposed to feed something that you don't want anymore. Um, now, I kind of went off on a little tangent You did, but there. I thought it was very, it's very helpful. And I'm hoping that there are people that might be listening to this driving that car, kind of going mm -hmm. through similar experience, are, are reflecting on this. Because there's there's so much more. Because the, the we haven't even opened the Pandora's box yet. So you're in California, which I would say is one of the best places to immerse yourself in this culture of uh, free thinking, spirituality, mm -hmm. um, the difference between... Uh, the nature and I, I mean, everything stems from you go to Cal California leads in everything, right? You want the best in fitness or in everything new, um, new age is, is coming out of there. Mm -hmm. So I would assume that you were like a sponge when you were in California. And ironically, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. Um, I believe everything is in its divine time and happens in its divine time and everyone has their own journey. And when I was in California, I was not at the point where I was connected in any way to something larger than myself. And yet you had such a deep connection to going to that area. Yeah. And it wasn't until years later when I was, I remember I was given the book, uh, Eckhart Tolle's book, um, Power of Now, uh, when I was going through all this stuff, when I was actually in the hospital. So that was, was about uh, 12 years, 13 years ago now. And um, I opened it. And I put it down right away. I just wasn't there. I couldn't connect with a sentence in the book. And it wasn't really until about 
eight years ago when I opened it again and just absorbed everything. Timing is everything. It's so powerful. And that's why I never give up on anyone and never get frustrated or try to change people because I know what that's like when people try to change you when you're not ready. People have to come to that space on their own time. And so um, it's, it's this consistently, I love how you open with, um, the walking, the talk, right. The practicing, Mm -hmm. because when you are in that, when you're just living it, even though, um, yeah, it's easy to, to read, it's easy to learn, but it's another thing to actually walk it and practice it and not perfect it, but consistently master it, um, day by day by day. That is a whole other ball game a whole other ballgame. It's easy to learn. It's harder to absorb and live. You had done so in your academics. Mm-hmm. You said, you know, you could study, you could learn, you, you knew the clinical aspect of what it was that you were doing. When did you first then shut your eyes, focus on taking a breath in and a breath out? When did that experience happen for you? This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally, as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com started exploring and Eckhart Tolle's book was kind of the seed, um, that was planted, but it was never, uh, really watered or nourished for a couple more years after that. And then I was introduced, I I think Oprah was having a guest on her show and I was like, wow, that's really neat. I, maybe I could explore that. And I had a, just like a 10 minute session that I'm like, I'll just try it. And, um, I had that experience of me being on the side of the road and bearing witness to thoughts as opposed to being the thought. And I, I thought, Oh my God, like I wasn't crazy that whole time. Like it It was was, real. It was real. So for me, Eckhart Tolle was yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, reading, reading, um, Michael Singer's the untethered soul was mine. Beautiful. And it was one of those that people had suggested I read it and I read it and I was like, you know, it was on a, it was on a list and I finally went and, you know, and for me, that was my opening. And it was talking about the voice in the head, the same voice I think that you're referring to, right, is being aware that there is someone constantly dictating and talking to you about usually past Mm -hmm. (laughs) or present or or future and not really the now. Exactly. It was so that, and then I just, I couldn't read enough, right? Yeah. That book, I recommend it to everyone, especially when they're first starting it. The Untethered Soul? It's phenomenal. Yes, The Untethered Soul. Um, Michael Singer's work is incredible because he he translates the language into, um, di- it's you can digest mm-hmm. it easily, right? Into everyday living. You're sitting in traffic, you're doing dishes, whatever. It's it's digestible to modern times. And it's it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of art. Yes. It really was. And then I finished that and then I went and read the Surrender Experiment because I hadn't had enough of him yet. <laughs> so did you so, do the course, his course? I haven't done the course do yet. The course. I, I did I, it. You know what's so funny? It keeps popping up in my Instagram feed. I mean, they, they found me, right? They know that I've, I've, 
I've, I've searched things up. So, uh-huh. but I do keep seeing this course pop up. And mm-hmm. I said, it's funny. I said to my husband the other day, this course keeps popping up. Yeah. It's like something's telling me I really should do it. So I've, I have thought about that. So for me, it was um, when people, because a lot of my friends have now asked me because my husband says, um, you know, it, it's, you're just different. You have a different mm-hmm. outlook. My friends are like, what has this, what has this done? And it was, it was just quieting the crazy voices in my head that, that we have all the time that you're just thinking and you don't even think that you're thinking, but you're thinking because you're thinking about the most ridiculous things and then the, the things that process through your head. Mm-hmm. So I just started to tell people, I just, I started with three minutes yeah. on the Headspace app yep. uh, and I started with three minutes and I sat there through the three minutes going, I'm wasting my time. Why am I sitting here? Why am I sitting here? Yep. This is doing nothing for me. How much more time do I have until the beeper goes and I can be done, you know? And then, you know, I was like, okay, I got through that. And then you start to go into the five minutes and then the 10. And then I started to notice that my waking up in the middle of the night, between two and four with my head spinning was starting to kind of not happen as often. And like, something's got to be working, you know, and then it went to 20 minutes and then it went to 30 minutes. And now at 30 minutes, I get really upset when the timer goes off because I feel like my whole body's in this wonderful vibration. And so when my friends are asking me like, what is this doing? I'm like, I, it's hard to explain, but it's just this process that your, your body and your energy. And I start to feel like I'm more connected to the universe in a way because my energies are different and I'm not having negative energy popping off my body. It's almost a positive one. So I want to be able to understand once you started, because you were saying about six to eight years ago is when this process started. Mm-hmm. How does one study, learn, accept? Because mm-hmm. you went from having this clinical and the psychotherapy to opening up a meditation studio, right? There's a lot that goes mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. When did when did this start? Because I want the information. I want people to to be a sponge today and take as much of it in. Yeah. Beautiful. And if there's one takeaway that I I hope people have, and this is just so near and dear to my heart, and I just hope people feel it is that, um, the anxiety, the depression, the, the, the experiences that people are having, the grief, the rage, that it's normal. It's part of our human experience that there's nothing wrong with people. In fact, um, if we take a moment in stillness and bear witness and hold that pain, that energy in a, in a kind space, compassion, what we notice is that it shifts, it shifts. It, It literally, the energy, you can feel it moving if we hold and bear witness to it and the heart can hold it, the heart can hold the grief, the heart can hold the rage, the heart can hold the joy at the same time. But bearing witness to that is just such a gift we can give to ourselves as human beings, as opposed to medicating, numbing and just. Right. But you're going to say that, Natasha, and someone's going to go, I don't, I don't get what you mean by hold it or yeah. let it flow. So how, how do you explain it? Because mm-hmm. while that sounds great that you're, that you can accept that you have these things as part of who you are, mm-hmm. how do you explain what holding it means or Beautiful having question. that energy? I'm so glad you, you asked that. So when I was practicing, I'll start with a little story. I think everybody can resonate with stories and they connect with them. When I was practicing um, as a psychotherapist, I was working primarily with children and families. And... I remember this little boy, he was nine years old and he came in and he was 
maybe 40 pounds and white as a ghost. And he hadn't, he'd shut down eating. He hadn't eaten in, um, probably a week and a half at that point. And, uh, he wanted to commit suicide. And so when I do, did a suicide, um, uh, assessment, he like had a plan, he had everything and he's nine. he's nine. And at that moment, I remember thinking, this is not the child. This is nothing wrong with the child. And this has everything to do with the environments in which this child is immersed in. Meaning, do his parents have the supports, the ability, the skills, the resources to nurture him in a way that's going to build him up? Do the schools that he's being placed in have the ability to to look at his strengths as opposed to his weaknesses? Because what we focus on grows. And so if we're focusing on weaknesses all the time, that's what's going to grow. And our system, our school system right now, only focuses on what we're not doing right and trying to make that better as opposed to focusing on the strengths and then making the strengths better. And that's a whole other, um, issue that we really need Mm -hmm. to focus on is, 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 um, is how we're, how we are, um, with our children. But going back to this story and this little boy, that image of him is forever ingrained and embedded in my brain. And I'll never forget it because it was a perfect teachable moment for me to say, I'm done. I'm done with labeling this poor child once again, because he came, the file on this kid was about 20 pages thick and he's nine. And when I sat with him and as a psychotherapist, you're not supposed to touch as human beings, we need touch. When I, I actually hugged him and I, and I held him as he cried, when he allowed that release there was no more, shall we say, aggression. There was no more, shall we say, quote unquote, bad behavior in terms of cursing and swearing and, and biting and all these behaviors that we that he had taken on as being part of who he was and that not being a good part of him, meaning he shouldn't be doing this. There's something wrong with him. He's bad. Blah, blah, blah. When when we're labeled with something, we unconsciously think and believe that that must be true, especially if it's coming from someone who we admire, maybe a a doctor or something or a teacher. We take that on as our identity and all an identity is, is a patterned way of thinking about thyself. And so meditation, for example, is a beautiful offering to take away um, the self as a story meaning the self as our identities that we believe ourselves to be, to the self as the observer. And in the observation, there is, you get to watch the stories that are conditioned as opposed to be those stories, meaning as opposed to um, identifying with the career, identifying with the amount that's in your bank account, the identifying with the accumulation of stuff and, and friends, all these, all these things that as humans, we, we try to, um, uh, identify with, we allow just the observation of it because it's in the identification that suffering occurs because we attach to it. And if once, we don't have it or if we want it, but aren't getting it, yeah or aren't meeting what the expectation was of what we should have. And often it's unconscious. So we have, we have an expectation. 
but we aren't even aware of what that expectation is. And so we're striving, striving, striving without consciously even knowing one, why we're striving for it. I mean, what is on the other side of it? What, it, what, what do we think? We're only ever after a feeling. That's why we do what we do. Whether it's buying a new car, whether it's getting a career, we want a feeling. Whether it's a feeling of um, success, whatever, however we define it, whether it's a feeling of um, uh, just uh, excitement, perhaps. Some people kind of like the 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 energy that cult, that gets the cultivated adrenaline. whenever exactly. Um, whatever it is, it's going to be different for everyone. Um, so if we're if we're unconscious about what it is that we're kind of going after, there's always going to be suffering unless we consciously understand, okay, this is, this is what I'm going after. This is the feeling that I, that I, um, I know it's going to initiate. And guess what? I can actually cultivate that feeling right here, right now. And you can, because you can place your focus upon, upon it. Right? So if we were to close our eyes right now and, and settle into that feeling that we want to experience, we can absolutely feel it. And the interesting thing, if you look at um, Olympic athletes, they will always do visualizations of the race that they're about to do or whatever sport they're, they're, um, they're, they're doing. They will do these visualizations and um, the brain doesn't know the difference between sitting, visualizing, and the actual act of the sport. It can't, it can't identify. And so, um, you can cultivate that in the moment, in the stillness, whatever it is that you want out there can happen because it's only ever coming from the inside ever. So for example, someone, you know, whenever I uh, graduate, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be this, you know, psychotherapist. And once I got that label, I had this, okay, I'm here now what? Mm. And it's this just constantly striving and never just being. And then that's how, that's what our lives are is just this consistent, um, moving towards and never just indulging in the being and enjoying the being and knowing that whatever it is that we're moving towards can always be cultivated in, in this moment, in the here, in the now. To contrast that, life happens. People die. People, we lose, we lose something. We lose a friend. We, 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 um, you know, change a career. We, life happens. How do we hold that grief? How do we hold that disappointment? How do we hold that sorrow without trying to numb it and get rid of it? And there is this beautiful practice where if you can bear witness and just sit with loneliness, if you can just sit with the grief and hold that for yourself, it shifts and it moves through you. But the more that we push um, through food, through drugs, through alcohol, the more through medication, the more through distraction, social media, massive, the more that we do that, then the louder this grief, this sorrow, this anger becomes. Cancers, uh, depression, it, it, it all gets louder because it's never acknowledged. So there's this practice that I have um, at the studio in meditation where, where I, I, ha I invite people to just experience what it feels like. 
because it's just an energy at the, at the end of the day. And it's the stories that we tell ourselves over and over about that particular experience that keeps it alive and that grows it. But if we can just hold what the energy of grief feels like, if we can hold what the energy of anxiety feels like without the story or bearing witness to the thoughts of the story in the mind, it moves through us and it shifts. And then you know what? We're thinking about what to have for lunch. We're thinking about um, uh, the hug that we just had with our child. It, it, It moves as opposed to holding on and attaching to the story of what happened and, and, and that growing, and then that becoming, um, our experience into the days, weeks, months, years, even. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like it breaks the pattern. It breaks the pattern once you're able to do that. The, the thought of getting to that point though, seems I get it, but for someone who hasn't tried it or done it, it's still a while away because it's not going to happen, right? No. It's not going to happen right away. No. And then because there's so much information out there and it really does seem like this mindfulness mindset is like the new fad, right? It's Mm -hmm. like everywhere you're going and people are trying to figure out, you know, through apps and through books, how to go about it. There's so much information. There's different kinds. There's this, the, there's the spiritual, there's a religious, like there, how do you find a path if someone is about to just even take their first step? Mm-hmm. That's such a great question. It's, it's overwhelming. And I, you know, when I Google kind of, there's like 27 different forms of meditation, yeah. right? Yeah. And you were talking about one with the visualization, that's almost like the manifestation of certain things, right? But then there's the just wanting to be silent. Mm-hmm. How do you figure that out? There's so many. There's so many different forms. And even, you know, the... the, So meditation. How I define meditation. That's perfect. How would you define it? Right. To bring awareness to. To bring awareness to. Are we aware of, in this moment the breath. Let's just do a little, a quick little exercise. Um, right now, even with the eyes open, where is the inhale going in the body? Where do you feel the inhale moving in the body? Is it in the chest? Do you feel it in the throat, in the belly? Where in the belly? Just noticing that. And what we're doing is we're bringing awareness to that. Does it matter if someone says it's in the belly, it's in the chest? It doesn't matter. The mind will say it does. You'll notice that the observer doesn't matter. And, and if you ask the question, who is bearing witness? Who is, who is seeing the breath? Who's feeling the breath? And that's going to, that might sound a little weird to some of the listeners. Um, but posing that question is a really important. And that's what the monks are asking. Who is bearing witness to this experience? Who is hearing the sounds in the room? What is hearing the sounds? Who is the seer? Is it I? Is it Natasha? Is it Leanne? And, and, And just contemplating this, just, just listening to the mind thinks involuntarily, like the heart beats involuntarily. So it's never about trying to get rid of the thoughts in the mind as much as it is to become aware that you're thinking 
And so the practice of meditation is the coming back to the moment, to the breath, as an example, or whatever focal point you're, you're putting your, your attention on. It's, I always say, if you come back in a, say a 10 minute sit, if you come back to your breath, after you've noticed that a thought's taking you out and you come back to your breath 200 times, that should be 200 times that you're celebrating because you caught yourself. You're coming back again and again. The practice is the building of the muscle of the coming back to this moment because the mind is going to think it's a beautiful, brilliant mechanism that we have to solve our problems, to, to help people, to, to create solutions, to, uh, to imagine, to create it's, it's beautiful. So we don't ever want to get rid of the thinking mind, but we, we don't want to attach to the thinking mind. So it's, it's sitting for two minutes and catching yourself once even drifting, drifting, and then bringing yourself gently, non-judgmentally. It could be literally you saying, why am I sitting here? I have so much other things I need to get doing. But noticing that you're actually saying that in your head exactly. is about you bringing it back. And by doing that, you have started the shift. That is it. It's not about, it's not about clearing the mind and getting rid of all those thoughts of, oh my goodness, I should, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. Like this is doing nothing. That's brilliant. It's noticing, okay, there's the mind. Oh, there it is. There it is coming back to the breath. Okay. Now non-judgmentally, gently coming back because what will happen then is the judging thought of why are you thinking about that? You know, you're meditating, you know, so it's non-judgmentally coming back again and again to this breath. And then the mind will go off again and gently when you notice coming back. And sometimes there, there's going to be sits where you don't come back at all. And that is okay. Come back to the opportunity, the gift of just sitting for a couple minutes, offering yourself the stillness because it's within the stillness when you're connecting on a level that isn't absorbing unconsciously stuff, right? Because we're always absorbing no matter, no matter whether we're conscious of it or not, we are absorbing. And so if you allow just a stillness, just a moment to connect with yourself, even if your mind is going hundred miles an hour, sit again and again. And I always recommend, um, using a stop sign people, you know, you don't even want to sit if you're driving, allowing the, the stop sign to be the anchor to remind you to plant yourself in the moment, ground yourself in the moment, and just take literally three deep breaths into the belly and connect with those three deep breaths at that stop sign or the stoplight. And getting into the practice of just the grounding, the grounding in this moment, because what that will do will break the pattern of being in the car, driving, thinking about, you know, the meeting you're going into or a fight you just had with your spouse. Right. But sometimes you don't even realize that you're driving because you're getting from point A to point B and you don't know how you got there. How many times are people like, I know I got in the car and I somehow got home and you don't remember. Yes. The drive. Where's our mind at that point? Yeah. So you're in the thinking mind, right? You're thinking of the past. You're thinking of the future. Clearly, you're not in the present moment Mm -hmm. because you're not thinking about driving, right? right? So if 
if someone says, okay, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try the, the, use the, the practice of a stop sign. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be days when you completely, you know, bust through, you know, 10 stop signs and you don't do it once. That's fine. Um, like getting rid of the expectation that it has to be done perfect, I think is really going to set people up to, to really have a nice experience with meditation because, um, especially, uh, really driven people like really driven people who are kind of wanting to make themselves better and evolve and grow. Um, they're, they have high expectations. And so uh, really noticing those expectations is what's going to come through in a meditation. You'll start to see, Oh, I have this idea that my mind should be clear, et cetera, et cetera. Um, no, it, it, the mind is going to think just as the heart beats. Um, cause we wouldn't want to take the, the beat from the heart nor do we want to take the thoughts from the mind. What we want to do is become bear witness to those thoughts because then we can see the craziness of them and we don't have to do attach to them. So it can be as simple as, um, Oh, how could she have done that to me? Like, I can't believe they're doing that. Just noticing that. And then we don't, we get to choose what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. Meaning we get to choose the story that is moving consistently, always in our mind. And often you begin to notice how it's the same thing all the time. The patterns, the thinking patterns, the conditioning is mm -hmm. all the same. We have this emotional home, right? Some people live in anger all the time. They're always angry or they're always frustrated or, or some people just have this, um, joy that they emulate, right? They're always funny mm -hmm. or they're happy. We all, we all have these emotional homes that we live in. And so if someone doesn't want to be frustrated or angry, an opportunity can come in sitting and noticing the stories that they're thinking and believing that creates that emotional space that it creates that, that elicits that emotion within them. And if they're open, then they can change that naturally. It, it will, it will naturally, because what they'll notice is they're sitting in traffic, someone cuts them off and they don't react there. There, there's a space between this is my experience and this is what I'm doing about it. There's, there's this, um, there's this opportunity where, Oh, I have, I'm having this emotion from this experience and the emotion is just held. I don't have to react to it. It's just, it's here because it's an energy. I'm angry that this person, how dare they? And then, you know, the thinking mind will mm -hmm. go off on a tangent yeah, then story. You're thinking, oh my God. Okay. Maybe should I just actually, I'm going to just tail them now. And then I'm just going to scare <laughs> them. And then, like you, you start and then you play right. out of the scenario. But if I do that, then I could actually, well, then I could cause an accident if I cause an accident, like, and then your mind just keeps going and going and going. It's like yeah. this domino. It's like the butterfly effect, right? It's, yes. It keeps going. You have, when you talk about sitting, you say you come back and you sit. Mm -hmm. When you talk about that, mm -hmm. is there a proper way that we, you know, even mm -hmm. then people are going to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Well, how do I sit? I see people sitting with their legs crossed. I see people sitting on a mm -hmm. pillow. I see people with their hands out and their fingers touching. Mm -hmm. Like there's, then you're just like, well, I don't even know how to sit to even start mm -hmm. going to sit so I could take three deep breaths in my belly or coming out of my chest or coming out of my throat. Like it's, Mm -hmm. Can can you go about this your own way? Does there have to be the perfect way to sit or the perfect way to have your body? So meditation, the ability to bear witness to our momentary experience is an art and it's a practice and it's a skill. And so 
I don't like to have imposed rigid rules on anyone. Some people would like rigid rules and that works for them. Other people don't. I think the average person doesn't want rules. I think the average person just wants um, to feel better. And so I would say to them, if sitting in lotus position with your eyes closed on a comfy cushion is what's going to support you in your practice, then do it. If standing in the shower, offering yourself a moment of bearing witness to how the water's feeling on you, the soap, and offering the 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 present moment experience of that, then do that. And so there is no right or wrong. And part of the meditation practice is to bear witness of how the mind wants to label things as right or wrong, emotions as good or bad. It is just that. It, it, it's just the experience. And so um, for people to, to get started, and I, I get this all the time, mm-hmm. and, and I understand because I was there too. Um, when people are walking through the door, usually people are walking through the door because they're they're done. They've tried so much and they're just, they're done. And they want something different. They know there's something better and they want to experience that. And so one of the questions I, I always ask is, well, I'll back up. Some people want woo-woo because there's mm-hmm. still an association of meditation with woo-woo. And so um, other people don't. And they will tell me that right away. And so I kind of know kind of where they're at in terms of usually the woo-woo means, you know, a, a spiritual component, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like much larger and really kind of diving into that. Some people want a practice like mindfulness, for example. And mindfulness, what I, what I think the brilliant thing about mindfulness specifically is it, it takes you out of the stress of this moment. And, but that's it, right? Cause mindfulness is being included in school teachings. You know, there's the mindfulness minute or, mm-hmm. you know, like mindfulness seems to be that keyword that you're bringing in. Yes. Yeah. And so, so mindfulness, it, it, what I like to think about the way I like to think about mindfulness is it is a, it is a skill. It is, it is a, an art of being able to Catch yourself when you're in a thought, whether past, future, and bring yourself to this moment. And that can be by way of breath. That can be, however, you can be in a meeting and be mindful, right? You can you can notice you can notice um, uh, people's eyes and really bear presence with them. And there's, um, that can be a practice. There's so many different kind of ways. What I would suggest people do at the beginning, if they're looking to explore, um, meditation Mm -hmm. in general is find an opportunity to experience an app, find an opportunity to experience a group setting where they're just exploring because there's no right or there's no wrong. And everyone's going to, um, resonate with, specific practice over others. Myself, um, I change all the time, weekly. Sometimes I want more of a mindfulness practice. Sometimes I want more of a Vedic practice. It changes all the time. And I want to offer that to people too, because especially the feminine, the feminine wants to flow. The feminine wants to always shift and change. And and to have that as an offering, I think is just such a, a beautiful thing. Okay. But people... Because you mentioned that people often usually associate meditation with being on their own, 
Mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. like you sit, you're on your own, you have this space, but yet these meditation studios are popping up everywhere. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you're in a group environment? What shifts or why would people choose to be with other people doing this when it's really something about being with yourself? So yes. So it's, it's such a great question. So the group setting, what we don't see is energy. Mm -hmm. We can feel energy. So within the group setting, when you are with uh, a facilitator or a teacher, there's something very powerful about that. When you're in a group setting with other um, people, there's something very powerful about community, right? We're social beings. And so when you're, when you are meditating, as an example, you are in a community with people who are experiencing nothing similar to you because everyone is unique and, and what you experience is often indescribable. The, the human, the English language is very limiting. And so when people can't describe their experience, I say, don't try, just have your experience. And so the group setting offers the community as well as, um, the, the teacher facilitation, which is so important. You can get that with an app mm -hmm. and there are times when that is, um, appropriate and that's what's going to work. But I think, um, having both as options is, is such a gift. Can you tell when you're teaching if someone's in like focused or not, or if they have good energy or not? You can feel mm -hmm. absolutely. You can feel and you hold that for them. Because it's never a, it's not, it's not necessarily trying to take away your pain. It's to hold your pain, right? In therapy, for example, we know why therapy works is not because of the modality or the philosophy that's being used. It's because of the therapeutic relationship. It's the relationship that has therapy so successful. And within a relationship is safety. Can people, are people feeling safe to crack open? Are they feeling safe to explore? And so if you can provide safety for people where they feel like they are able to go to some of their darkest nights, um, and be held there because sometimes that's what we need to do, then there is tremendous amount of healing that comes from that without trying to make it better, but holding that, right? So for example, if someone's grieving, the last thing anyone who's grieving wants to be told is, it's okay. It's okay. If a child gets hurt, they don't want to hear it's okay. They're crying. They are in pain. Their experience in this moment is not okay for them. They're feeling that. Can you just hold that? Can you hold the presence and energy for them so that they can just have their experience and move through it? Because everything in life changes. So too does our current experience. So too does an emotion. So too do our homes, our hair, everything changes. Can we hold this for someone sacredly and, and allow them their experience for them to then move on to a new experience? And a lot of, a lot of powerful healing occurs because of that. And so someone could be having, um, they could have just had a massive fight with their spouse. They could have lost a child or just given a diagnosis of cancer. And 
be bearing witness to a lot internally. And then someone over here could have a raise, could have just purchased a new home, could have had just a baby and have a completely different experience. Again, not one is better than the other. It's just an experience and both two shall pass. Right. And so holding that experience for people both on both ends, on both spectrums. So you could be in doing a class and having two individuals in that room that are completely, I would think the energy that they're trying to breathe in and the energy that they're breathing out would be very, mm-hmm. very different. Yeah. And you'd feel it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have um, just even last night, uh, we had a beautiful session. I had one person snoring and the other person was so physically uncomfortable that they were in pain when, when, um, the session was over. So again, <laughs> you haven't quite made that appealing. Okay. I'm going to go try your class, but one person was snoring and the other one was in so much pain, but I'm going to go try this meditation. You yeah, just totally sold it there, it, Natasha. It, yeah. It, and that is, that's life, right? And it's how to hold that physical pain. And also how to bear witness to literally someone unconscious, like they're sleeping, they're snoring. And it, it's, it's, it is the practice because that is translatable into the, the quote unquote real world, right? It's interesting because the more you dive into this, right, you'll then dive into, and you mentioned a certain type of, of meditation that you had talked about, but then there's the people who are doing yoga and the poses and there's there's all these different outreach and some are doing this for the spirituality of connecting mm-hmm. with the divine right like mm-hmm. there's so much it's like i mentioned like you're opening a pandora's box as yeah. to how many different levels you can go to so the main thing as i'm running out of time and i've gotten like the the wrap is the is the three sec is your your stop sign yeah like is Give me, if you don't mind, and I'm going to put you on the spot, but like the, can you give me like a top five? Can you give me a five things to consider as people embrace or embark on trying something new and not to give up? Please don't give up like after a week because it was, it, this isn't going to be a quick fix. Yeah. This is a practice. It's a Mm -hmm. lifestyle. It's a way of being. Um, so absolutely. I can definitely do that. So the stop sign, um, allowing the stop sign to be the anchor, to remind you to just breathe through deep breaths in the belly. That is, that is a beautiful one to get started. Um, and it can literally take three seconds to do. Another one is to notice when you're feeling a certain feeling that doesn't necessarily feel good. So angry or mm, let's not start with anger, actually, maybe a little bit of annoyance. Okay. And can you become aware of where annoyance is in the body? Is it in the chest? Is it in the belly? Where do you feel annoyed? And just begin to notice and then see if you can hold that without judging it or to get rid of it. Just what I want people to do is begin to just have their human experience, right? So because what will happen is when we become aware of these things that annoy us, when we become aware of our emotional triggers, then we can actually do something with it as opposed to react unconsciously to them. And so this is where meditation is a massive, massive help because it allows you again, that space between 
experience and reactivity. So if, if people can, so the stop sign, brilliant mm. one, um, three, three deep breaths, um, figuring out, um, perhaps where they live often emotionally, are they annoyed all the time? Are they frustrated? And then noticing where that is in the body, where is that energy and not accepting it, just bring awareness to it. Awareness is so important, if not the most important thing, because the awareness will allow the gates to open and the curiosity to flood in. So I would even just start there, mm-hmm. just, just with the, the stop sign, three deep breaths and noticing, becoming aware of our momentary experiences and, and knowing that every time you become aware, you're actually building the muscle of your attention focusing. So, so you, you are directing where your focus is placed. Okay. I could focus my attention on the story I'm creating of why I'm annoyed, or I'm going to put my focus upon where in the body I feel annoyance because that breaks the pattern, the thinking pattern of the story. So it doesn't grow. And you're not repeating behaviors. It's not going to happen right away. Not going to happen right away. And it's a practice. Mm -hmm. Find environments that support. It's critical. You, you, you need to find that because it's, it's not just, this isn't going to be something that you do and you fix something and then you're done. No. It's something that you will eventually, it will evolve into being a part of your life because you, you want to feel and you want to find that space and that energy that yes. it will eventually give you. As I mentioned at the top, um, there are, there are, there are apps mm-hmm. and there's a reason why these apps are doing so well, but you have, I've used the headspace. It's People a great are using one. Calm. Yep. Um, there's mind bliss. There's a couple, there's one that's being done a huge investment out of invest Ottawa. Um, so there are, there are things that are out there. Yeah. Look into classes. So union, mm-hmm. uh, Y O U N I O N. Yep. Uh, is out. It's new. And what was, and how did you want people to feel when they walked in? Mm-hmm. So Union came to me literally in meditation uh, less than a year ago. Like in a meditation. Yeah. And it just, just streamed. It just, just opened up a studio because at the time I was doing a lot of private practice and uh, I wanted to get into groups. And um, so it just said, open up a studio where people can actually practice this stuff and have someone to consult with because it's not something that, that you can or necessarily should consistently do on your own if it's something that you want to grow upon and evolve into. Um, uh, okay, so should I then, because I'm now, I would need, it's almost like a coach. Mm-hmm. You almost need, you need some teaching. That's the thing, guidance. right? Um, if, uh, look at any athlete, mm-hmm. they are consistently coached, right? Um, so uh, psychotherapy, you have a psychotherapist to bounce, you know, these, these ideas and, and have someone kind of share different perspectives. Um, it's, it's critical. Again, it's an environment. If we want something to change, you have to find environments that support that change as opposed to remaining in the same environment, expecting change to happen. I mean, as Einstein says it, the definition of insanity right there, definition of insanity. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, it's critical. And that's why union exists is because it's an environment that, that only cultivates skills, only cultivates resources, um, and has people go within, um, and, uh, you know, just provide consistent empowerment and inspiration as opposed to something what's wrong with them and keeping them there and living out those stories. 
I, I don't want people to, to believe those stories any longer. I want to break those patterns and I want people to tap into an internal dialogue that is going to um, offer them resources for wherever it is that they want to go. Can I ask a personal question? Absolutely. What kind of energy are you able to create when you're like deep into a good meditation? Like, what do you feel? It's different for each one. So I would say don't go into a meditation with expectation. Mm. That's. But have you ever come out of a meditation and gone, I can't believe I just experienced that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And what's that experience? I can't describe it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can try to describe yeah. it. I want to leave on that, um, on that thought. There is... I had this gentleman, he came in and, uh, he left the session and he left the studio and he hugged, I mean, we're on Beachwood. So Beachwood and New Edinburgh is yeah. busy street. He hugged every single person he met in a course of two blocks to his car. And that wasn't because of his nature naturally, um, I would say it is his nature naturally, but it wasn't his personality, if you will, to hug people, random strangers on the street. It is just what emulated from him, from his experience of just feeling connected, of seeing people at, at their essence, in their essence, as opposed to their, seeing them as their, their skin or their hair or their, their personality, but feeling them and wanting to just emulate that, 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 that energy of love, um, I'm hesitant to use the word love, but there is, um, I don't mean like mushy gushy. I mean a general compassion and a general kindness towards all those we see, including those that, um, often are more difficult for us, but we can hold that too. We can, we can, we can see that even beyond their personality is an essence that's no different from you mm -hmm. to me. And, um, it's such a gift to be able to experience that energy and then share that energy. People feel it. So I'm not guaranteeing that you're going to go walk out of a studio and go hug every person that you see on the street, but you might just find a little clarity <laughs> and a little of that break uh, that you're looking for. There's so much more. I'm going to have to do a couple of, I think I'm going to have to do a couple of podcasts on this because there's just so much information, but Natasha, I really, I really appreciate mm. your honesty and your openness and, and introducing us mm. a bit more into this world and why I think it's really changing people. And, and I think why there's such connection with it. Now people can find you, the studios on, on Beachwood, uh, union studio, what's union the studio.com. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's we have right now too, we're having a, a massive offering where we're offering $55 unlimited sessions for a month. So people can come to however as many. many as they want in a day even. Um, and then, I just launched a program, an eight-week program that I'm going to be doing starting September 9th, I believe, um, mindfulness-based, but it moves more into the neuroscience and the psychology and the study of well-being, um, infused with uh, weekly sits too, so that people are getting information. Yes, they're learning about what's happening, but then they also the experience that so they're practicing. And all um, of that information is on the website? Everything's online. Okay. Yeah. And that's good. So they're going to hear this. We're going to be inspired. And then it starts like two weeks later. Yeah. It starts go. super soon. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, and of course, please with the podcast, like subscribe, share, let people know the topics that are, that are here, uh, that you can find and to help, to help allow, uh, living your life with Leanne Lang to be able to grow. Thanks as always to extension marketing. Marketing. If you're looking for more information, you can always head to extensionmarketing.com. 
Have a great day. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.